Hello, everyone. You're listening to Elisa Unfiltered Living Life Out Loud, the podcast. My name is Elisa curry and I am here today speaking from the heart to inspire and motivate you to be your best self. There is so much more to life than the nine to five daily grind, and I want to share all of my secrets with you. So let's get started. episode 157 of the Elisa Unfiltered podcast. Today it is Wednesday, May the 10th. It's actually a big day for me. I am flying to Vancouver, going on a little birthday trip. Love my birthday week. Lots of exciting things, including this episode, which is kind of a gift to everyone, including myself. Today's episode is with Sasha Hart, who is a coach consultant for high-achieving, purpose-driven entrepreneurs and executives. This conversation comes at a very interesting time for me as I myself have started to really connect to the power and lessons that my high-performance career has taught me and how it helps me reflect on how I've integrated these lessons into my day-to-day life almost 20 years later. Sasha incorporates his professional basketball experience into his work, which I love. And therefore, we share a lot of parallels with our approach. What I respect about him the most is that he is an outside-the-box thinker who challenges his clients and community to fully step into their confidence and power, all while being an authentic leader. That's what we want to be, authentic leaders, where we lead by example and invite those around us to step up to the challenge as well. He literally teaches how to step into your joy and break free from the shackles of self-sabotage. I love that word shackles. Man, do we ever feel tied down sometimes, don't we? Now, although we have never met in person, our paths have crossed several times online, and I love his perspective. In this episode, we cover everything from COVID groupthink to learning how to win and lose to learning who the heck we are. I'm excited to share this conversation with you. If you enjoy this episode, please share it on your socials and tag me at at Elisa Okay, y'all set? Here we go. This is Sasha Hart. All right, let's do this. Sasha, welcome to Elisa Unfiltered. I am so happy that we can finally, we finally got this recording. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I'm super excited. I'm I'm very excited actually where we're going to go from here because we don't really know each other, you know, no. which makes it, I, I, I like those conversations even better, to be honest. I know. I've just like seen snippets of like some of the things that you talk about and you are a, a mindset and performance coach like myself. I'm really interested in the performance side, but also your perspectives on relationships and relating and how you speak about women and how you speak about men and, and how we interact with each other and why we do the things we do. And it's, I, I always coaches like yourself are some of my favorite people to chat with because we all kind of like have the same ideas but spoken in different ways. And that's why I think you're just such a good fit for this show. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, I love it. I mean, okay, where do you want to start? I mean, performance, <laughs> love, intimacy, sex, like, you know, where do we go from here? <laughs> it's a good question. I'm like, how high level do I want to go? I think right now, my sense in the world is that there's a lot of stress and emotional dysfunction and, and, people trying to fit in and, and, and everyone's kind of censoring themselves and kind of treading on water and not really using their real authentic voice. And I kind of want to hear your take on that. Like, why do you think that people have sort of shifted into, um, I don't know, I don't want to call it censoring themselves, but like shifted into this space of like the illusion of authenticity. Good question. I love the question. And actually, I, I think you can say a lot of people started censoring themselves. Okay. Yeah. Well, yeah. Because, yeah, I I, I think so, you know, and it's very unfortunate. Hey, look, we have the same glass almost. Yeah. Oh my God, um, we do. And it's Dollarama. Very, <laughs> it's very unfortunate because the the reason why we started censoring ourselves, they're multiple multiple layers to this one is this fear of rejection you know this idea of like fitting in 
but then at the same time, actually, you do the opposite. You're not fitting in at all because, like, mm -hmm. you don't even know who you are anymore. So basically, everything that you do is everything else but fitting into like your own self, pretty much. And that just creates more disconnection than anything else. That fear of speaking up, speaking your truth, and pissing some people off. Because what, what does it when we piss people off? Like if we're really like starting to like speak our minds in, in a kind way that we like have good intentions, then all that happens, people that are, don't resonate with that, they're just going to be repelled. They're going to move away. And people that actually do love what you have to say, they're going to gravitate towards you, which is a beautiful thing. Mm -hmm. However, why do you think it's so black and white right now? Like, I mean, pre-pandemic, I don't know about you, but if someone was like, like I was born and raised Catholic. I am no longer Catholic. I no okay. longer practice religion. However, <laughs> I know, <laughs> I know. But when I was a practicing Catholic, if a, if a Jewish person came over, I wouldn't hate them for being Jewish. I would respect their choices in their in their chosen religion, in their, in their practices, in their culture. When I went to Bali, for example, where you are now, I didn't impose my cultural limits all over Bali and, and tell people they're wrong for practicing what they practice. So why is, why is it that it's becoming okay? Like, how are we moving in that direction where, yeah, it is beautiful that people disagree with us, but I think the inability to hold space for someone else's point of view is like dead <laughs> almost. What is that? Yeah, I think it's a couple of things. One, I think they, they're quite unstable with their own values and principles and even their religion in some ways. So right. because they don't have that faith and that truth within their own self, and their their beliefs and their principles and their values and their religion and like you know faith and whatever there is that's mm -hmm. why they have to impose everyone else to basically believe the same so they feel a little bit more security from within does that make sense it totally does yes yeah and it's so upsetting because like at the end of the day like why does it even matter like if i'm really if i'm like really to the core in alignment with what I believe in and what I say and what I want to do in this world, why do I care what anyone else thinks and does and wants to do? It's like, we're, we're, and to be honest, like actually governments, media, society, all that bullshit, it's, it's programming us in these type of directions because the more they're moving us away from each other and like creating these boxes and these different um, groups of people, the, the easier it's for them to control us. Now we're going a little bit more into the conspiracy type thing, but you know, that's, I, I mean, you can see it everywhere. It's happening so much. I don't see that as conspiracy at all. In fact, what you just said, if someone labels that as conspiracy, it's because their veil has not been lifted. They're in a deep state yeah. of denial about what's going on because it wasn't always this way. And it's hard to accept that, the media or like a person on the news has a very sophisticated way of lying to you. We don't want to acknowledge that we are falling for the BS of that. Yeah, but it makes our life easier if we do, because <laughs> then we don't have to think. Mm -hmm. Most people in this world, they don't really want to think. They don't mm -hmm. want to research. They don't want to make up their own mind and like really look a little bit deeper and like figure out like okay what's really going on it's so much easier to like have some sort of authority figure tell us what to do tell us what to think tell us what to believe in. and it's like yeah okay that makes sense so you believe it mm -hmm. and i am so blessed to live here in bali because i am not exposed to media to tv to radio of the the mainstream like western media. it doesn't exist here oh um, the dream so, um, Oh, yeah. I stopped listening and watching movie, um, TV or like any type of media like 15 years ago, mm -hmm. you know, and then when I came to Bali, it became so much easier because mm -hmm. like when you're in a car, like somewhere in the Western world, like I'm from Berlin, like when you just even when you're in a car and you listen to some radio, you have some news and it's like hard to avoid and people talk about it here. Everyone is like, we don't want anything to do with this bullshit. Yes, that's fantastic. I'm like you. I stopped listening to the news around... 2015, I would I want to say like seven, eight years ago. 
it was yeah. always on at my house. Like my mom always had CNN on and I like believed what they were saying until one day I was like, this is bullshit. Like, <laughs> like it just kind of, I was like, how are you listening to this over and over and over and over and over again? Like it's bullshit. So I actually stopped watching and miraculously within a very short period of time, my life got better. And I, yeah. and I couldn't like pinpoint why I didn't realize it was that I turned off that constant noise. And, and yeah. then, then I started preaching about stop watching the media. And then when COVID hit, I was like glued to my TV. I was scared. Oh, I yeah. was like watching the numbers. I was eating it up. I got scared. I was also washing my groceries. I was masked. I was freaking out like, oh yeah. And then I was like, oh, wait a second. <laughs> same, same, different, same, same. And I'm now noticing like people that are waking up to like what, what, the media was how the media was perpetuating fear with the pandemic, which thankfully people are starting to see that, but then it's hard for them to see it in all the other stories in the war, in, in what's happening in the U S what's happening in Canada, like what's happening in Europe. Why do you think that they're going to tell you the truth? A hundred percent truth after all of that. Wait, let me let me go back one moment and I want to hear your question again. But before you go to this question, I think part of the reason why now a lot of people are still in denial, even though a lot of numbers and everything else like makes it so obvious that they have been lying to us for so long when we go into yeah. this whole uh, COVID rabbit hole or whatever. Um, now the problem is most of them, they're vaccinated. Yes. So that means like now accepting the facts like mm, maybe I have made a mistake. Maybe yes. blah, blah, you know, X, Y, Z, because they were just following the mainstream, like following the flow, what everyone else did. Now, all of a sudden it becomes, um, it's it's hard to accept the fact that they might've made potentially a very big mistake. Uh, and it's easier to live in denial. It is. I, I agree. That alone, that mistake, quote unquote, is becoming, I don't know. Let me know what you think about this. Is it becoming the foundation to people who are, okay, so when we make a mistake, any mistake in our lives, we can accept responsibility and see it as not necessarily a mistake, but just something that we don't want to do in the future. Like so, what not to do in the next time, you know, like people see mistakes and failures as like this colossal weight that they need to hold onto their shoulders. And other people see it as a learning experience. We are learning. Yeah. We are moving forward with this. We, we don't want to get stuck in the, in the past. We want to move forward and be informed for the next time this happens or the next time I'm in this situation, how am I going to behave? So like the people I feel like that are holding that weight as the mistake those people are are going to now have this invisible stress, this invisible lie that they are now going to build a foundation of who they are based on a lie. Do you know what is that yeah. making sense? Like, do you it's think totally sense? Do you think that that's kind of why in the last three years more and more people are confused about who they really are? No, I think that has always been the case. Okay. Okay. I don't think that. Think about it. It's accepting the truth. Sometimes might be very painful because we have to look into the mirror. We need like some sort of responsibility and accountability for the action that we have taken. And most of the people, I believe, they they do not understand that taking responsibility actually puts them in a position of power. Taking accountability for the actions, good or bad, and everything in between puts them in a position to make these shifts and changes to see like, okay, here's an opportunity for growth. Here's an opportunity. Okay. Here, I really have messed up. I need to ask for forgiveness. I need to like take responsibility, you know, like these things don't happen because uh, we don't even have the backbone anymore to, to see the things that we did. So it's easier to, to move away from the truth rather mm -hmm. than accepting it. And then we're creating a false reality for ourselves. I think that's one of the things that you do really well is you teach people skills that they didn't learn when they were kids on yeah. how to actually do that. Yeah. And I got so lucky, you know, because I was raised and I start sharing this more and more and more and there's a whole story behind it, but I was raised in a, in a love bubble. 
My parents, I was an only child and my parents spoiled me with love and time and presence. Not even once, and I'm not exaggerating, not even once had a, have I had a fight with my parents. Mm. Or I saw my parents fight. It didn't exist in my world. It didn't exist in my household, you know? And of course, there were arguments. There were like, you know, things where we did not agree. But what happened then is like we sit at a table and we talk about it. So I was just raised into this like personal development type of industry in some ways, because there was just the the standard that it was so high, you know, in terms of communication, in terms of uh, relating with each other, in terms of like setting boundaries and, and all these things. So, but yep. that was one of these big pieces, uh, why I feel like I, I got very blessed and that's why I have these, these certain skills. Mm-hmm. So yeah, the, the way I was raised is one big piece. Um, the other big piece is my professional basketball background. I was playing for the national mm-hmm. team as a junior. And there you had to learn at a very young age, criticisms and failures are very essential in order to play in the top league. Mm-hmm. You know, if you want to play internationally, you need to be able to look at your failures. You need to be able to look at your your flaws that you have in your game, the way how you shoot, like, you know, pick the wrong strategy, wrong decisions, blah, blah. All of these things are insanely important as an athlete in order to become a better basketball player, become a better athlete in whatever kind of sports, become a better musician. Like, you know, it, it doesn't work without it. And you need other people to call you out on your bullshit. You need other people to tell you like, here, you kind of didn't do the best move. Here, you kind of made the wrong decision. And these these things are insanely important to, to be at your best, you know, and to improve your game. And I think these two pieces were very, very important for me why I can do what I do right now. I want to talk a little bit about professional sports. I don't know if you know my background of, I actually competed for team Canada in freestyle skiing in moguls. And uh, so your, I've heard you speak a little bit about your basketball experience and it resonates so deeply with me because what people don't see when they're watching TV, they don't see the dedication and the discipline and the choices that you've made that you don't see the moments where you're home alone, just, hands in your head, ashamed, getting over the failure, getting over the loss and learning how to lose in a way that keeps you in an upward growth track. They don't see yeah. that, that, that it starts young. So I want to know how you feel about how in North America, anyways, I'm not sure about Europe or Bali. What do you think the impacts of not keeping score in sports is anymore for kids? So right now, I don't know if you're aware of this, in North America, in Canada specifically, up until I think it's soccer, up until age eight or seven, they don't keep score. They very rarely keep score even in hockey, but Hockey Canada is pushing hard against that because they understand long-term athlete development. But I'd like to know your opinion on what's that, what what's going to happen. <laughs> Make a prediction. <laughs> I mean, one, I think we can both agree it's terrible. I'm so grateful for all my wins, but I'm also very, very grateful for all the losses that I have experienced. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, I'm coming from team sports, which is another piece, right? So now you have to learn to win and lose together. Um, And like when you go into soccer, like it's, it's important. Like it's a shared responsibility all of a sudden. It's not just me who's losing. It's us as a team who's losing. So we as a team, as a community can also figure out how can we win? How can we get better? How can we train better together? You know, and taking the score away, all it does is just like making us more soft. And now obviously there's a difference between man and woman, but like for men, it becomes even worse. If we don't even learn how to deal with losses, and how to deal with like someone beating us and just being better and accepting the fact there will always someone who's better than us, you know, and like developing this, this desire to be the best or become the best or like, you know, just improving, like we take that away. Like, yeah, having fun and like, you know, playing some games, it's great. But that challenge, that competition actually adds a lot of value. So taking that out, like, I've never heard about this. This is new to me. So I'm like, who would say that? It's infiltrating the school systems as well. Like, you can't fail a grade anymore. There's no consequence to your action anymore. There's no consequence. So now teachers are getting fired for failing kids that aren't showing up, that aren't doing the work. That is the reality. Well, yeah, we're creating a, a weaker and weaker society. But it makes sense, you know, when you go back into, like, who... 
what's the easiest person or the easiest society to condition and to program to just like not think and to do exactly what someone else wants you to do? Mm-hmm. It's a very weak personality that doesn't have any backbone, that doesn't know how to fight, that doesn't know how to like win or lose. And it's like very quickly emotionally reactive to whatever happens in their life and never creates and develops some sort of grid. It's interesting that you say learn to win because learning to win is a huge for a lot of things for confidence. Like you see emotionally dysfunctional people actually get a win and they can't accept it. I know there's Mm -hmm. people listening right now that have had incredible opportunity presented to them as a massive win and they can't sit with that. They feel unworthy of it or that they don't deserve it. And they've never learned to actually win, which is another huge part of sports and, and being able to be, and to be able to take criticism. Criticism is one of the biggest things I learned from sport. In fact, one of my bosses, one a woman that I, I work with, um, she's also a friend. She can be straight up with me because she knows I can take it. And I've, I've actually had to learn how to communicate with people in a different way because I would just write an email that's super direct. Hey, this wasn't up. Can you please fix this? Thank you. Have a great day, Elisa. Now I have to be like, hi, I hope you're having a great day. The sun is shining and you've done such wonderful work. And it's like this massive compliment sandwich because people can't just like read an email. They like to blow it out of context. Do you know what I mean by that? Do you believe in this whole idea of this uh, this concept of like sandwiching things and like the good, then you bring some bad and then you end with something good? You know what? I do for some, certain people. I do believe in it. I don't think that that's not the way that I see the world though, however. like, And the more I have conversations with people who are awake and the way I like to call awake is to be is to understand you've been indoctrinated, to understand that your thoughts and beliefs are not yours, they have been given to you, and then work towards either going with it because it actually is in alignment with you or changing it. So I, I, I just more and more gathering people that are like-minded, quote unquote, that I don't have to sugarcoat. They get it. They don't get offended. They stand in their truth. So when they hear my truth, they don't take it personally because they know it's not them. It's me. <laughs> yeah. What, what also, about you? So even with clients, I, I prefer shock therapy rather than controlled exposure. And yeah, 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 absolutely. I just call it as I see it. You know, uh, if, if I have a client in so many of us, including us in different areas of our lives, we all play a little bit of victimhood, right? We, we just all have these small, some more, some less, like, you know, we're all humans. And, and I, and I saw it in her and I just called out like, Hey, Stefania, like you're playing such a huge loop of like victimhood mentality right now. And I just, I posted it yesterday. So or today, and, and she stopped and it's like, Holy fuck. You're so right. I turned into this, this person that I like, don't even like in other people. So there's no like, Hey, you know, could you see this? And it's like, no, like you just bring it to the table. This is what I believe. Like you pull the trigger first and then you unravel the whole thing rather than like beating around the bush, trying to be nice and never really get to the point. And I'm like, that doesn't, it's, it's extremely inefficient. And sometimes the shock therapy that you really like take someone out of this loop is insanely helpful and it gets you to the core so much quicker. So I believe like, no, let's, let's call it as it is. And then we can like work through it and see what we're going to do with this rather than the other way, you know, wasting a bunch it. of time. And, and there's another piece, which a lot of people do not understand. If someone gives me their blunt, plain truth, it's actually a sign of respect. Mm. Why? Because one, they're not putting on any mask, any like filters and whatnot. Like they're really giving me their honest truth. And that's, to me, that's a huge amount of respect that someone shows me. One, because if they see something that I couldn't see about myself or about like, you know, the world or whatever, then like, that's a gift. They're giving me a gift. And then, on, and then like, it's, it's, it's a huge sign of respect. And if I don't like what they have to say, then I, I can still appreciate and respect the fact like, you know what? I can always believe this person is just giving me their truth. There's nothing more important than that rather than having 
having someone who I feel like, yeah, sometimes yes, sometimes no. And like sugar, it's like, it doesn't work to me. You really, you put the words in my mouth. Like, I love that. It, it, it is a sign of respect when someone can hold space for themselves and for me, like, and because they're also trusting me with their own voice. Like, and it's like this really interesting exchange. And I will say like, when it, I think, I think when it comes to clients that I work with, I am very direct with them, but in the broad spectrum of the world, I'm a compliment sandwich person because I know that people are unavailable to receive. So when they want to receive, when they're choosing that path, let's freaking go. You know, there's sometimes when people come to you and they have some sort of, not a client necessarily, but like they, they, they're struggling with something, right? And then there's one beautiful question that you can ask is like, do you want comfort or do you want solutions? Do you want comfort or do you want the truth? How often do people even know what they want? (laughs) Yeah, but they know if they want comfort, you Mm -hmm. know, if someone is like, I don't know, someone just broke up and then like, yeah, Mm -hmm. they, they're just all upset and whatnot. And there are two options. It's like, okay, if you want comfort, I'm here for you. Like, you know, what do you need? But if you actually want a solution, like how to move through this, then I'm going to give it to you. But don't ask me to give it to you in the way that how you would like to receive it, what you think in your emotionally very reactive state, what you think is best for you, you know? Mm -hmm. That's why you trust me. That's why you asked me for an advice in the first place. So then let me give you the advice. So speaking on getting some clarity and figuring out our emotions and figuring out our truth because I don't know so many people explain it in different ways like there is the truth and I feel like with ideologies right now and the conditioned mind and politics political there is my truth people are like this is my truth however there's some blurry understanding of what that is there's three truths there's your truth there's my truth and then there's the universal truth. Okay, so can we talk about that a little bit and how do we get clear on on who we are? How do we get clear on who we are? Okay, how to get clear on who you are? You go 10 days into a Vipassana silent retreat. Spend <laughs> 10 days in silence. Meditate for 10 to 12 hours every single day. Shut up. No distractions, no phone, no nothing. You learn the technique of the Buddha. Mm-hmm. And then you know so much more who you really are because all that stuff that you haven't really worked through, that you don't even know it's there, emotions, sensations, and like like anger and resentment, like everything, it will come up. And you will learn with this technique how to not only be able to to see and observe and feel all of it, but also you will learn how to not react to it. So did you, how many times have you done this? I I saw that you did one. I've done seven now. Holy shit. Let's talk about the first time you went in there. Uh, I've never done a silent retreat. I've definitely um, gone through my own versions of deepening my meditation. I'm a yoga teacher and I, I am in love with the practice of it in my own way. The silent retreat though, what happened? (laughs) Tell me everything. (laughs) I mean, one for everyone who's listening to this, it's the most life-changing, transformative tool and practice you will ever come across, mm-hmm. period, hands down, you know? The Buddha didn't come up with this just by fun, you know? There's like, there's, there's, some, there's some gold in there. What happened to me on my first one? One, they were all very different. The first one for the first six days was an absolute emotional roller coaster. Like the first okay. three days, All I I felt was anger, resentment, negativity, vindictiveness, like all these things that I didn't even allow myself to feel all that shit came up three days. And it was all directed towards one person, my partner at the time, all of it. And we were obviously not in a good uh, state with each other. And then after three days, I realized, wow, like this cannot continue to be this way, you know? And then when I go another layer deeper, I found a lot of sadness and grief and pain and suffering. And then another day later, and another layer deeper, I found a lot of blame and shame. And that was directed towards myself because I realized I am the only one responsible for this. It had nothing to do with her. 
I gave mm -hmm. my principles away. I didn't enforce my values. I didn't make sure like certain values in terms of the, the communication that I would like to establish and foster my romantic relationship. They were not there. It had nothing to do with this. I could have said stop at any given moment and I didn't. And that put me in that position. And then again, that's that was a very, very powerful um, situation that I was in all of a sudden because on day six and day, day two and day six are the most challenging days is what they say. And on day six, I'm sitting in the meditation hall with 110 people and I'm sobbing, I'm crying my eyes out. I'm like, you know, I'm really, it was very, very emotional. And then I have this deep, deep moment of liberation because I'm sitting in this, in this meditation hall and all of a sudden I feel like I'm in this white nothingness infinite room like you see in Matrix. You know, where Morpheus and Neo, they're like in this white room, there's absolutely nothing. And it feels like this infinite possibilities i was in that room all of a sudden and a monk walks towards me and he and I, I could see him and you know i see his facial structure and everything else and then he touches my heart all in meditation not like in real life right just for clarity and then he touches my heart and all of a sudden i feel like i'm getting charged up with energy with love with mm. compassion like you know it was my moment of liberation and i was just crying because i realized that love that empathy that compassion it was always there. I just didn't allow myself to act and feel it anymore because of all this other stuff that was happening in my life, you know? Um, and after that, I had all the clarity that I needed. I knew exactly what to do. I knew exactly like what kind of shifts and changes need to happen. And all this charge was just taken away. You know, and the Buddha says, to finish this off the story, the Buddha says, if you can see a, a thing from the very beginning to the very end, it becomes empty. Now, what that means, all this emotional charge that I was feeling, this grief, this sadness, this, this disappointment, and like this anger and, and resentment, anything, because I was going through the whole loop from the beginning to the end, all that charge was gone because I've seen it all, you know, and I understood. And that was liberating. That was insanely liberating for me. And it changed my whole life. Did you find it hard to sit with yourself in the sense of like, so many people are distracted and they avoid all of these things. I like did. Was that a really difficult part? And how, what happened when you started to sort of crack that the door open a bit? It was, it's, it's very hard. It's very challenging. And then at the same time, it's very beautiful at the same, like, it's so beautiful. It's, you know, you have, you have so much pain, also physical pain, you know, yeah. if you sit for 10 hours every single day, like you will, you feel physical pain, which wasn't really like dominant for me because the emotional pain was so much stronger, was so much harder. But once you go through this and you really allow, it's like, you know what? I made that commitment with myself. I'm going to sit for these 10 days. There's nothing that's going to move me away from this. Um, that in itself gives you a sense of comfort and a sense of confidence and a sense of like inner strength and integrity. Mm -hmm. So that pain that's there and you really feel it, like you will realize it's just, it's just pain. And you realize, okay, that it's, it's not forever. You know, it's this beautiful thing. You sit in meditation and it's itching. Let's say it's itching on your nose and you, you scan your body and you feel this itch on your nose and you kind of out of reflex, you want to scratch yourself. But because you're not supposed to move, you don't move. So you continue to scan your body, you come back to the nose and the itch is not there anymore. And I know this sounds so simple, but it's like such a beautiful experiential moment of my own experience of like, these things come and go. They're not there forever. That pain comes and goes. It's not there forever. You know, these beautiful times, yeah, it's great when they're there, but then also there will be hardship and vice versa. Mm -hmm. um, it's powerful. It's really, really powerful. If you haven't done it, then it's, it will be the greatest gift you will have ever given to yourself. My path never didn't start in that area. It started working with a spiritual coach who does biodynamic therapy, biodynamic cranial therapy with energies and releasing mm -hmm. the, the frequency of trauma in my body. And, uh, mm -hmm. and she, she didn't, I don't focus on like talk therapy. I don't, I think there's a level of talk therapy and I'm not discrediting psychologists, psychiatrists, that field, because it is a modality. It's not the modality that worked for me. I did that and it didn't do anything because it was almost like replaying the story. I'm just reliving the story over and over again. And, and one of the first things that my spiritual coach said to me was, was, 
Well, who are you without that story? Who would you be if you walked, if you met someone and didn't tell them that story? Didn't victim signal your story? Who are you? And I was like, holy shit, I don't know. <laughs> so my path was through that. And then recently um, I did in the fall of this, of 2022, my first ever colossal macrodose of psilocybin, which was the most, um, that blew my fucking mind. It, that showed me the meaning that I give to things, my attachment to story that I don't have control. I am not in control. And the things that I think are real aren't. It's just that I've attached myself to them. I've attached meaning to them. It was very, it was a crazy, it was crazy. And I've heard that like, there are meditation things that really um, are very similar to like a psilocybin experience and also like some Kundalini yoga and like some breathing things that can really get you to that place. But I'm interested. You're getting me interested. It's I'm, I'm telling you, it's the greatest gift you will ever give to yourself. No joke. It's like, if, if this is going to change your life, is this worth 10 days of pain? Is it worth <laughs> it 10 sounds days? dreamy. <laughs> 10 days Look, I pain. had psychedelic experiences. I had psychedelic yeah. experiences at Vipassana retreats too. You know, you, you learn to scan your body in ways that you're not just like on the surface, like you go into the body, you can feel your organs. Yeah, I was on day 10 on my very first one. I was able to go through my spine and feel every vertebra individually by itself and i could go through it you're so connected it's crazy. to who I you know, are it sounds it sounds all a little bit like it doesn't huh? sound crazy it does not sound crazy it sounds like real it the p and that's what like i hate this like conspiracy theory label that people smack on to experiences that aren't normal quote unquote that aren't like that yeah. they they can't even imagine that this could happen to their life. Well, the reason they can't imagine it is because they don't put themselves in 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 scenarios or give themselves the opportunity to have those experiences. They're stuck in a tunnel, looking in one direction, and that's the way they'll live their whole life. Like people will live their entire life in that tunnel, and that's there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. And when it becomes problematic. And it, it, there's nothing wrong until it becomes problematic. And then you're like, shit, I'm in a tunnel yeah. and I'm 50 years old and I've you been know doing what? this for 50 years. Almost all of us, we completely forgot the superpowers that we have as human beings. Mm. And with superpowers, if we just talk about imagination, mm. everything that you have, the house that you live in, the holidays that you make, like, you know, all that stuff. At some point, it was a seed planted in your mind. You know what? I want to go a month to Bali. A few months later, a few years later, or whatever, you are in Bali. Where did it start? It started in the mind. It started with you imagining, yeah, what would it be like to be in Bali? What would it be like to like drive this car? What would it be like, like to live in this house? Like, you know, it all starts in the mind. It's the biggest tool that we have. And that's why I'm like, you know, this whole idea of like mindset and performance and whatever. It's like, I'm just trying to find a label that's somewhat like fits into you know the things that i do um at the end of the day it's all mindset it's all the mental capacities that we either allow ourselves to access or not and that releases all the performances so so how does the ego get in the way of someone understanding maybe it's not the ego how do we get in our, to our own way when we are maybe having some wake up calls i'm i'm pretty sure that most people that listen to the show have had the nudges, they hear the whispers. And then slowly but surely things just go back to the way that it's always been, or they make very similar choices when it comes down to it. When they, when they, when the pressure is on, they default. Yeah. Yeah, because we're weak, right? <laughs> we're, we're comfort, comfort is just so much easier to accept than. As we know, as athletes, you, you have these moments of suffering, you have these moments of uh, discomfort, you have these moments of pain, physical, emotional, like all these things, they're like actually insanely important. If we don't look at pain as something negative, then it gives us a whole new opportunity of how we can approach life. 
Yeah. You know, and pain, I don't necessarily only mean like physical pain or whatever, just like in general, all these things that create some sort of discomfort in our lives. Um, And it's just easier to look away rather than like looking at this piece of truth that's there. Mm -hmm. Oh, it's so true, isn't it? Like how, oh my gosh, how, I like that you're just like straight up, like, cause they're weak, (laughs) cause they're weak. (laughs) And and it's like, it's kind of true. There's one very beautiful exercise. There's one very beautiful tool that will that will expose so much that, that is so confronting, so beautiful at the same time. It's like, if you just take one day and you track everything you do from the very beginning of the morning when you wake up to the moment you go to bed, you track absolutely everything. How many minutes, like, okay, nine to 9.05 in bed, like snooze button, nine five to 9.15, uh, being on Instagram, scrolling around, blah, 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 everything. Like, you know, you're supposed to write this email, but then you end up like 50 minutes having a phone call with your mom. Like you track absolutely everything to the minute. You're going to be one, annoyed because it's it's just, it's an annoying task. But two, you're going to see everything that you do where you're completely moving away from the things that you actually intended to do. It's one of these super powerful, very simple exercises that if you really want to learn something about yourself, that's going to expose a lot of bullshit. I would imagine that even just the idea of the exercise will, because you know, like when people track their food for like a dietitian, they're not going to add that cookie or that they're going to say one cookie instead of two because people lie because they don't want you to not like them. So even just like, doing this without having to hand in the paper. There's no right or wrong. Just you, you no one else is going to see this documentation of your day, but yourself, you, that is a, it's a very good exercise as well in standing in your truth. Can you be, can you honestly confront your day? Can you honestly confront your choices? Can I ask you a question? Yeah. It's personal. Cause I was asked this the other day, uh, cause I told you about the shock therapy thing, right? And yeah. it's like, well, what, what's one of these, what's one of these questions that you use to push and provoke your friends, your clients or whatever. And it's like, in what areas of your life do you lie to yourself? So what I work through a lot is <laughs> that I wanted, I, I need to be right about things. Mm. So I lie to myself a lot when someone calls me on my bullshit I I can't see that. So I had to like be make them wrong so that I could feel superior. So like I yeah. I worked through this big um inferior superior devil angel on your shoulder thing like super classic <laughs> narratives of right and wrong. And then yeah, so I would say I lie to myself when people call me on my shit. Mm. I yeah. I'll make up some story to save face. I wouldn't be able to take responsibility for my actions. I wouldn't be able to sit in the consequence of my choice and understand. I didn't understand that I was the one saying yes to this. I was the one choosing this behavior. I was the one agreeing to these narratives, agreeing to these beliefs. I didn't see it. Ask me today, when when you said that that was like the big thing that came because that's kind of a big thing that has impacted me. And it still comes up today. Like it surfaces. So when people, if I make a mistake, if I say something where someone says I'm wrong about it, I get like, I can oftentimes have like PTSD. I have this like traumatic somatic response of, Oh shit. And then five, six, seven years ago, I would have started to like defend. Now I sit in that nice. yeah yeah what about, what about you where, where in what areas do we do you lie um i think sometimes i lie to, to myself in ways how i think people have have this idea the way how i perceive myself is very different to how other people perceive me mm-hmm. so i lie to myself in like sometimes not acknowledging the the wins and the celebrations and whatnot that I have or how other people's like, oh, you know, you're a good person, like blah, 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 whatever, very successful, this and that. And I was like, no, actually, like where you put me, that's not really where I'm at. 
that's not where I see myself, you know? And then sometimes I do, I let them in that belief and I put myself in that perception as well, even though I know that's not really where I'm at. You know, so they're they're like, that makes sense. Is it because it just is less conflict just to like make them? Oh, you do? (laughs) Amazing. I love I love conflict. It's amazing. You know, there was a time where I was looking for any type of uncomfortable conversation and conflict that I can possibly find. Mm -hmm. I realized one, this, like, it's, it's a, it's a very beautiful um, natural selection of people that you can actually have these strong and powerful and like um, conversations that are not easy to have. They're, they're my people you know, because I, I can trust them. And at the same time, I, I was looking for these pieces. Where am I not really 100% expressing my truth? Where am I moving away from conflict and trying to please people or please a situation, but actually it's not really in alignment with what I believe, what I want to do with where I want to go. And like, you know, so I was looking for any type of potential conflict I can possibly find just so I can have these uncomfortable conversations. And getting so used and comfortable with it that now it's like I can talk about whatever and I, I'm I'm fine, you know. There's nothing that would scare me the conversation that I need to have. Not not at all. None. And for people that are kind of in the beginning stage of the stages of that, how yeah. in what ways did you support yourself through this? Like what because it because putting yourself in an uncomfortable situation without practicing it, without knowing what to do like that's where people default into their into the ways they've learned to cope (laughs) yeah sure but but as you just said uh, if you don't practice it you're not going to get better at it so you have to put yourself in these positions in order to get better and get that experience and have that practice and then you'll be able to handle it you increase your capacity you increase your skills you you're going to be able to navigate Uh, and operate with these like more challenging moments, like from our own nervous system to the way how we have to communicate, we have to like receive like other people, like whatever they share and whatnot, and still hold our ground. You can only get better at it if if you practice it. So if you don't practice it, you're never going to get better. And sure, there are certain frameworks and certain ways in terms of authentic communication and like, you know, that you can use in order to make these conversations not as challenging as possible or just make them a little bit more, you're actually getting to like a common ground to a certain degree. There are frameworks out there, you know? Um, And they are very, very helpful. Very, very helpful. But not doing it at all, you will never get better at it. It's like coming back to the athlete mentality. Yeah, the winning and losing, learning to win and learning to lose. However, I think like one of the things that people get confused about, and maybe you can touch on this, is like having a difficult conversation doesn't mean that you're disrespecting someone. Correct. And, and I think that, like, I think difficult conversations, the way the media fights against each other, the way we see it is not really what the truth is. Like it's, you don't have to, you can be very respectful standing in your yeah. power. Like, like, yeah. And yeah. also you want the other person to really speak whatever they have to say because otherwise what are you going to get for them from them like this like sugar-coated false reality of a version of what they want to tell me so they were avoiding the conflict we're not really getting to the core of like what's really happening here so therefore we're not going to be able to make any shifts and changes if you bring this now into relationships yeah, you know, and relationships is not just romantic relationships. It's yeah. business partners, it's colleagues, it's team players, it's family, it's friends. Like it's the relationship that we have with ourselves. If we just avoid conflict, by all means, it's like, and what kind of world do you live in? You're so far away from reality. Yes. Right. Yes. And like victimhood is being celebrated right now. Mental illness is being celebrated. And like, these things are true. People are victim. They've had hard shit. They've had traumatic experiences in their lives. People have really serious disease, mental illness. And it's great to be able to talk about those things and accept them as, as normal. And what is, what is this like 
I just, I want to choose my words carefully because I think, well, (laughs) as someone who was diagnosed with social anxiety, put on medication, I took medication for seven years and just looped in that story. That was not helpful. And it takes some ground shaking to snap you out of the idea because like you said earlier, authority figures told me this is what I need to do. And it's not what I need to do. And it's not to dismiss people who believe otherwise. It's just to like, I just, I find it so fascinating that taking antidepressants or statins or being on more than one drug is like cool. Like, what is that? What is that? Yeah, I don't know. Like I said, go into a Vipassana retreat, 10 days. It's going to change your life. And if I can guarantee you a lot of people that if they listen to this and then all of a sudden they're really like feeling encouraged to like, you know what? Let me get rid of all these distractions for 10 days. Use my, like, use your yearly holiday for it and go into a Vipassana retreat and sit for 10 days with yourself. It's going to change your life in ways that you cannot even imagine if you approach it the right way. What what one do you recommend? Do you host them? Are you in that space yet? We host them sometimes at the Astana, at the meditation retreat center that we have. Um, I mean, it's a meditation slash biohacking uh, fancy retreat center. Um, so it's not the typical Vipassana experience because we are in- incorporating cryotherapy. We are incorporating spa treatments. We are incorporating uh, flotation tanks and like hyperbaric chambers. And it's all there to deepen your meditation practice at the end of the day. There, there are more than 250 meditation centers all around the world. And it's all by donation. It's free. There's literally no excuse. All you need is 10 days, you know. Um, <laughs> I do this sometimes with my clients. I put clients through this. Really? Yeah. That is amazing. I mean, and I'm a big believer, you know, and, and it's it makes a huge difference. And working with someone in the beginning, like, you know, let's say one or two sessions, then they're going into a personal retreat and then they come out it's a totally different person that I can work with. There's so much bullshit that's already worked through that we don't even have to address anymore. You know, it's just yes. like, it's, it's an acceleration to everything that you want to achieve in life because you're just getting rid of so much like noise and negativity and stuff that you haven't really worked through. Um, and we don't need to do that. It's powerful. For those people that are interested like me, uh, but those people that are just like, can you give us one or two tools that we can use right now to help silence the noise and to disconnect from the distraction and to start sitting into and connecting with our bodies that we can do today. Now I realize as you're Um, thinking this, that there's no silver bullet to this. This is not something that's like, you can't smack a bandaid. The work must be done. And is there something that, that people can just start to do right now? Yeah. I mean, look, Everyone has a weekend, right? So yep. if you on your Sunday, just as an example, until 12 p.m. lunchtime, you don't use your phone, you are in silence, even with your partner, or whatever. It's like, you know what? Until 12 p.m. lunchtime, we do not talk to each other. We're just going to be in silence. There's no TV. There's no book reading. You can journal if you want to, you know? Yeah, there's no music, there's no phone. It's just like, shut it down. And then like, what do I want to do? Just sit on the couch, sit on your, like wherever, and like, you know, and just sit. You'll be surprised how challenging it is for all of us. You know, it's challenging and it's beautiful because it is challenging because like these insecurities, these like, I don't know, I don't want to say traumas, but sometimes it is like, you know, everything like it, it will come up. You know, and then you can see it or then you realize, I mean, you know, when you when you're a professional athlete and you really want to like um, you want to enhance your practice, sometimes you you just have to zone out everything else. You just got to be with this one thing. And in this case, this one thing is just you. Mm-hmm. There's, there's nothing. Oh, else <laughs> it's true. It's true. Fortunately. Through my career, 
those types of things just got ingrained, indoctrinated into me at a very young age. And things like, mm-hmm. like, so people think I'm very disciplined. It doesn't. And I still, to be disciplined, I'm still choosing to be in the discomfort of discipline every day. It's not easy to do, to be disciplined. It's a skill that you just keep going and to sit with yourself. Like even 10 minutes of meditation for people is excruciating. They can't even sit with their own body without a distraction for 10 minutes. I was talking to a friend the other day that has not left the house in years without her phone. She's, she needs it. We, we need our phone right there. How many times do you just open Instagram and just look refreshing your bio? Like who fucking cares about that shit? We've attached so much meaning to that BS. I'm, I love this, this until 12 noon, I'm going to do it. I'm definitely going to do that. That sounds like something that, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm interested in. I, the, the longest I've sat in meditation is an hour. It was also towards the end was guided. Like it was breath work and then silence and then guided towards the end. Yeah. Um, Because we think that we need to be told what to do all the time. Like we can't just, how interesting is that? (laughs) Yeah. And also, you know, what's going to happen when you sit an hour in silence, your mind is just going to go everywhere. I need to do this. I have this on my to-do list. Oh my God, it's hurting here. And it's itching there. And like, oh, this person has like not treated me well yesterday. And like all this stuff, right? So rather than like being, and all you have to do when you sit. So when you actually sit, all you do is just focusing on your breath, breathing in and breathing out, nothing else. And your mind is going to go away. And once you realize the first part of the practice is rather than getting like, oh my God, now I've been daydreaming and did it there and you're getting agitated and whatnot. It's like, oh, wow, I haven't been focusing on my breath. Let me come back to my breath, breathing in and breathing out. That's it. This is so challenging. If I would ask you right now to do this for three minutes, most of the people in the world, they're they're not going to be able to do that without their mind going anywhere. And that's the practice, you know, just come back to your breath because that's the only universal truth that really exists. Your breath is your breath. And you're not trying to change it. You're not trying to breathe stronger or like more shallow or whatever, or, you know, does it come through the left or the right nostril? It doesn't matter. You just breathe the way how it is. There's nothing more truthful than that. So when you move away from this, because your mind is going anywhere, what that actually means is like, rather you being the master of your mind, because you told your mind, focus on my breath. Your mind is actually your master because your mind does everything else but focusing on your breath. Do you want to be the master of your mind or do you want to be the slave of your mind? Mm-hmm. Love that. You know? It brings you right into the present moment as well because there's nothing else that's more important. And you start to connect to the beauty of the breath and how satiating it is and how much you can enjoy it. <laughs> Consciously enjoying the sensation of breathing is really interesting. We didn't even get into the relationship thing. So we're going to have to do a part two of this. I'm going to have to bring you back on because I want to talk about relationships and sex and freaking attracting emotionally unavailable people and getting into all of that stuff. But I think this was like so powerful because number one, we got some skills. I hope that uh, we got some skills here. I'm really curious about doing a silent retreat. And I really enjoy your perspective on performance and how it's shaped your life. And where can people find you? Um, they can find me on Instagram. They can find me on my uh, website, sashahart.com and heart with A-E, not E-A, the way how it's usually written in English. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. the only like little like, oh, yeah. um, and I mean, I guess you put me somewhere in the cliff notes or whatever, you know, um, yes. just give me a call, reach out, you know, I have, I have beautiful clients and this, like, we didn't really go into the whole relationship thing. I think yeah. 89% of my clients are actually females still. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and there are many reasons for this that I had to learn why that's the case. So there's a lot that we can talk about this. Um, and yeah. I'm actually curious. I want you to tell me now. So this is actually one of these pieces, right? There's a lot of female empowerment coaches as you are too. um, And it's beautiful and it's super, super important. But sometimes a different perspective, the way how men communicate, the the way how we look at things, 
It's the way how we like, you know, put things together in a different way and communicate that it's just very different. And sometimes that just resonates more with women. So the bigger piece though, is a lot of the clients that I work with, um, in some ways there's a broken dynamic or even trauma with masculine in general. Now yeah. that can be the masculine between the own dynamics between the feminine and the masculine or literally with another man. So yeah. what I didn't know for the longest time, the, the role that I often play is like, I just give them a whole new perspective and experience with a man. So there's a lot of healing that happens in that regard. Yeah, that makes a and lot then, of you sense. Know, right? Uh, and I didn't know this in the beginning, you know, uh, um, but uh, this is actually a very beautiful, very, very beautiful piece of just, you know, these conversations and the way how I see things, the way how I operate and look at the world and relationships. And um, it's just a way more healthy integrated version of the masculine i believe that i can represent that makes a lot of sense like they're they're validated it's an, an interesting thing that i learned coaching athletes so after i retired i coached uh provincial level athletes for 12 years and they were ages like 15 to 20 15 to 19 so teenager um yeah. really learning who they are in a very interesting way teenagers how they are constantly sort of posturing and and trying to be cool and trying to learn who they are and when they're in sport it's just so interesting what i found is women okay let me start with men men to gain trust that coach athlete relationship to gain trust they need to perform so i need to acknowledge a good performance they need to hit a target or a goal in order for me and them for them to think that I th see value in them. Women, yes. on the other hand, needed me to believe in them. <laughs> like they needed me to see the potential in them for them to step th step their foot in the water. And the same goes in all things. I've I've acknowledged over the years working outside of sport is like oh it's the same thing. So if a woman needs you to believe, and you being a man believing in them would shift perspectives almost immediately i would imagine yeah. correct yeah it does it's 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 a big thing for men and for women i believe because a lot of men there's also this like performance anxiety in whatever kind of business they're in like you know they um th that's really big um and and for women like i mean sometimes to be honest i have clients they come to me with with this i Okay, they come to me with like, Sasha, really what I need from you is to help me to gain enough confidence to get out of this relationship. That happened, not just once, you know, because often, more often than not, we're in these really broken relationship dynamics. Um, sometimes it's toxic and I don't even like to use this word too much, but like, you know, there's like really, it's just broken um, and they don't even know how to get out of it. And they don't have this, this this faith this trust in themselves and they don't like there's a lot of codependency often financially and then like you know there's a lot of different things that need to happen in order for them to actually make that shift and, and change yes it's in, it's incredibly powerful to understand like it's incredibly powerful to even recognize i'm stuck here how do i get out i need help that's step one number like to have the awareness that that's happening like people talk about being awake and aware well you can be aware and stay there forever it's it's how you actually choose to walk the talk and maybe that's not the way to put it but it's very interesting how people stay at step one forever <laughs> they like that's enough for them just to acknowledge i don't i'm not that person when i acknowledge that i'm in a shitty mm. behavior when i'm in a shitty place i don't want to stay in a shitty place and it's not about the other person. The other person, it doesn't have to change. It's me. I'm the, I'm participating in this. I'm saying yes to this and I don't want to say yes to it. So give me some freaking skills. I think that was a beautiful way to sort of end this podcast because I know that a lot of people listening will be like, yeah, I need that. <laughs> Part two, coming soon. <laughs> Part, Part two, come. thank you so much for your time. And uh, I really enjoyed our conversation. Yeah, we're just scratching the surface. We need to get like Joe Rogan the next one and book out three hours. Are you okay with that? I'm just kidding. <laughs> totally okay with that. Those conversations are amazing.
And obviously, yeah. like, there's so many similarities between the two of us. Uh, so I love diving deeper. Um, and yeah, you know, having a male and a female perspective, somewhat from a similar area, but then obviously different experiences. It's just very mm-hmm. enriching. And I love a lot too, you know. Love it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, I'm over here giving you a big virtual hug because you just finished another episode of the Elise Unfiltered podcast. If you haven't done so yet, I'd love for you to share the love and head over to Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or Spotify and give the show a five-star rating. I'll give you bonus points for leaving a written review. And if you're looking for more, head over to elisaunfilteredcoaching.com for show notes and all the links to all things Elisa Unfiltered. Have the best day, everyone. Until next time.